Coach, yeah. you said one of the lessons that you want people to learn from the book is to learn how to forgive. Who is the one person you needed to be able to forgive and were able to process that through writing the book? I really felt I needed to forgive myself because it's so easy to beat yourself up yeah, over, is. should I have stayed at Notre Dame? Should I have managed to work with Coach Smith differently? Should I have retained the previous staff? Should I, should I, should I? Mm-hmm, yeah. and yourself up and you know that's not a good feeling it's not healthy to forgive myself was like okay yeah i I need to be able to forgive myself and not be so hard on myself and realize i don't know many people that could have handled that situation that i was it was a very difficult situation i need to forgive myself for that So welcome into the Joe Schmo Sports Show. I'm your host. My name is Clint Webb. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Dominic Bottastella. How's it going, Clint? And Mr. Andre Cameron on the ones and twos over there. Up, and today we have a very, very special guest. He is a national champion. He is or was a head coach, and he is now an author with his first book coming out pretty soon. And Mr. Matt Doherty is with us. How you doing today, Coach? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was looking forward to being on with Gene Banks. Yeah. And I'm sorry that his mother-in-law passed. Gene was a great, great player. And I remember seeing him when I was in grammar school. He played against my high school team on Long Island. And was just, you know, one of the best high school players in the country. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, I'm playing against him. Yeah. And, you know, just a great player. And uh, I, I was hoping to get on the show with him. So tell tell him I said hello and uh, mm-hmm. that I have a lot of respect. Yeah, we, we mm-hmm. will definitely do that. And if you have a good time here with us today, maybe we can have one for number three whenever they face off. In, uh, no, I'm not coming Jam. back on. I already decided I'm not coming back on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. That's already been decided, you know. <laughs> you broke Clint's heart. I mean, <laughs> uh, well, know, Clint being a Buffalo, you know. No, no, Dominic, I'm the Bills man. Dominic, how do, how do I spell your last name, Dominic? I mean, I grew up with a bunch of Italians, but your last name's blowing me away. Battistella. You want to know how to spell it or how to how to pronounce it? Both. B a t t i s t e l l a. It doesn't really sound that great coming out with the southern accent, though. <laughs> How do you say it again? Batistella. Batistella? Mm-hmm. Batistella. Batistella. Yes, right. sir. And Dominic, huh? Yes. Come by All it, right. honestly. Where are you from originally, Dominic? Virginia Beach. No. <laughs> yes. No, you got to uh, be like from Ozone Park or something. My folks are, my whole family's from Buffalo, but they moved down south before I was born. Okay. All right. I, I can't really All claim right. it. I, I was raised in the culture, uh, hence the Buffalo Bills flag behind us but yeah you know i never lived there so i didn't get to go through the pleasure of shuffling snow every day from (laughs) you know october to easter that sounds terrible now did your is your mother into or just your dad no my mother's a polack really wow yeah oh yeah I mean, it's a perfect, a perfect Buffalo family, wow. Italian and Polish. Hey, wow. you know what? I, I just got to ask a question. Growing up Italian, yeah. did you have plastic on your furniture in the living room? <laughs> no, no plastic on the furniture. But I did. I okay. was born in the '70s, so we had that fine, fine wood panel on the walls in the oh, living yeah. room. That was good stuff. Yeah, but yeah. but all the Italians that I grew up with on Long Island, they had this nice white 
formal living room with oh, yeah. plastic on it. Oh, yeah. My and, great aunts and, and uncles all in had in that. Summer. Oh, wait, wait. This is my story, Dominic. All right. I'm, okay. I'm, don't interrupt me. <laughs> You're the one asking and, all the questions. <laughs> and, 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 and we'd sit down and then you'd, you'd be, it was the summertime, you'd be wearing shorts and like the, the, the plastic would come up onto you, stick with your oh, legs man. as oh, you're yeah. walking out the door. It That's was, the worst. It was yeah. annoying. Yeah. yeah. That's the worst. Anyway, all right. Growing up in the South, my grandmother had plastic on the couches, so that was not a great experience. So Are I you completely understand. No, I, mean, I am definitely leg, not. Man. I am definitely so not one Italian. The rip will cut your leg. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was definitely feel. not comfortable. So, so yeah. uh, speaking of Long Island, Coach, how does a kid from Long Island get to have Dean Smith in their living room recruiting them? How was that? How was that experience? You got to have game. Yeah, you gotta be tall too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I, I was fortunate to be on some good high school teams with good players mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and had great coaching. And so it was just a dream come true for me because I fell in love with the Tar Heels in 76 when Coach Smith coached the Olympic team. And then Man. in 77, went to National the Championship Final game. Four mm-hmm. and uh, just fell in love with the the Carolina Blue, and then to have him in my living room recruiting me was really a dream come true. I bet. I can't even imagine. I've met Dean a handful of times because of, obviously, I I grew up in Chapel Hill, and my mom and grandmother have ties um, with the Smith family, and my grandmother has known Dean Smith for... They went to college together at Emporia State University back in Kansas, way back in the day before he even went to, to the University what? of Kansas. Yes, sir. Yep. And they were they were really good friends. No way. Yep. Your, your grandmother's from your grandmother's from Emporia? Yes, sir. Yep. My grandmother, uh, no her name way. is Joanne. Wow. Um, she How passed a couple years ago. They went to school together in Emporia. And then they kind of split ways when he went to, to coach and play with Fog Allen over at uh, Kansas. Right. And my grandmother right. moved to Chicago to whenever she married her high school sweetheart and he became the dean of education at Northwestern. And then they moved here to Chapel Hill in the summer of 69 or 70 when he was commissioned by John Taylor to write the medical school curriculum for UNC. And then they reunited. They were on the deacon board together. They went to the same church. They had all kinds of Wow. Fun. Yeah. And I, I was actually the manager for the tennis team when his daughter Kelly played at Colbert Middle School because I was on the tennis team. So I just oh. I volunteered to help the girls tennis team. And so I've, I've had a lot of a lot of interactions with Coach Smith over the years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey Dominic, I just got a quick question. Yeah, sure. Is this podcast? It's supposed to be me, be about me and my. It's supposed to, yeah. Look, if you let if you let Clint talk all day long, he will. I mean, I mean, I like I appreciate the fact that you know, but like, I mean, you're killing me, small. You're killing me, small. So, coach, tell me about tell me about high school and playing under Coach McKillop. How was that? Yeah. uh I was blessed to grow up on Long Island and, and play with great players and four great coaches. And I, when I was in grammar school, I had a, my sisters went to Holy Trinity High School and Bob McKillop was the coach. And I dreamt about playing for him. And my freshman year, I tried out for the varsity and I made it. I was the first freshman to play varsity at Holy Trinity. And it was just a real, you know, intense experience. I learned so much. We had very good teams my first two years. Mm-hmm. And then he left to go to Davidson as an assistant coach. And so, and then I had another coach named Dick Zeitler, who was a terrific coach as well. And then Bob ended up coming back to Long Island after a year and coached at a rival high school. 
So he left Davidson and came back? He left as an assistant. Yeah, he left Mm. Davidson after one year as an assistant in 1977 or 78, something Mm. like that. But I learned so much from him that it made really the transition to North Carolina a lot easier because Mm -hmm. how hard practices were and the fundamentals that were stressed. Mm. So, you know, wasn't, you know, the intensity of a Carolina practice and the way it was organized and the fundamentals, you know, I'd been through that at a high level in high school. So that really prepared me for for playing for Dean Smith. Yeah, I've I've heard Coach Smith's practices are pretty low. Legendary. So I've, I've, yeah, I've they, heard a lot they, about they, that. They were very organized. He never cursed, but you went hard. Mm-hmm. It was always competitive. And he was just a great teacher. That's, that's, I mean, that's, you know, from all accounts, that's, that's everything that Coach Smith is about. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it had to be interesting culturally to go from Long Island to essentially small town North Carolina in 1980. That's, that's got to be quite a culture shock for you. What was that like? Well, I like change and, you know, you go on your visit and I wanted to play in the ACC and I wanted to go to a college campus and there's no better setting than a place like Chapel Hill. I don't mind new things. So, you know, the difference was, you know, I had a New York accent. People used to say, you know, <laughs> it, it was a great way to meet girls. Actually. <laughs> because they thought your accent was kind of kind of cool. Yeah, you're exotic. And so they say things like coffee and tournament <laughs> and, and, you know, and so... You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it. And Coach Smith stressed, he's such a bright man, he stressed, he said, you know, whatever you do, don't compare things to New York. Mm. Don't say, you know, things are better in New York. Mm. And, you know, just it's awareness, because you don't want to come down there and say, oh, it's not like New York, or, you know, everything's better in no, things were great in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and you know I loved experiencing things like hush puppies. Like <laughs> the first time I had a hush puppy, I'm like a hush puppy. What's a hush puppy? <laughs> it's like and, a and then, and, and then, and then you know they'd say, "Do you want to eat barbecue?" And I'm like, "I don't eat barbecue. You barbecue, barbecue like that's right. a, a process." <laughs> <laughs> so no, those types of things were a lot of fun and and I was open to new environment and meeting new people and you know just became a great experience for me and after four years of living in New York City I quit my job moved to North Carolina because mm. that's where I wanted to be yeah I mean it's a great place I mean you know I grew up in Chapel Hill so I completely understand the the draw I would never want to leave either got a question about recruiting coach you you have been a, a head coach on at the highest level in college basketball and your recruiting back in the day, when when Coach Smith and Coach Williams recruited you out of Holy Trinity High School to now, how has recruiting changed? Because then you didn't have what you were the, on the fourth ever McDonald's All American team, right? Nineteen eighty, and because I, I was the, a McDonald's All American, right? Yes, the first the first the first team was seventy seven, and then Gene Banks was actually on that team, and and I know that like he mentioned in an article one day that there was no scouting reports, there was no there was no video scouting, there was no anything like that. You guys had parade all Americans and now you have so much access to these players. So what is right. how has it changed? Well, it's changed in a lot of ways. So you touched on a few. I was the earliest commitment Dean Smith ever received mm. and I committed in October of my senior year. Awesome. Now now kids commit as freshmen or sophomores. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's a big difference. Back then, a lot of it was word of mouth, mm-hmm. you know, through 
trusted contacts that, hey, tell me about this kid on Long Island. You should recruit him. And and then, it, you know, now it's then you had the scouting services and you had some scouting services when I played, but it wasn't like it is now. There were basically two or three. It, a lot of it was camps and summer leagues. And I, and I miss that. Mm-hmm. I, I wish mm-hmm. we had more of that because that's where I feel kids really learn how to play the game of basketball ball as opposed to a lot of the AU stuff. I played AU too, but the camps, summer leagues, really where you get coaching. Yeah, and they 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 couldn't do that last year, Coach. And I know that it was, from everything that I've heard, has been a real struggle for head coaches out there not being able to see or have as much access, I guess, to these kids. And do you think yeah, that... Well, it- well, I think it hurts the coaches. It hurts the players. I think the condensed evaluation periods hurt, you know, coaches and players even before the pandemic because coaches are going to make bad decisions and players are not going to be as seen as much. You know, when you only get to see a kid play maybe one game, mm-hmm. you know, like in North Carolina, it's different, but they're still sleepers because they're kids that North Carolina can't see mm-hmm. yeah. right? because they don't have time. Right. Uh, now you can do it over video and that's become an advantage, but it's not still nothing like seeing a kid in person. Yeah. Coach Williams talks about that a lot because he is such a visual person. You know, he hops on a plane every time there's a game over during the recruiting season and goes to see a kid. So I can, I can definitely understand that. So how'd you, how'd you get into basketball coach? I mean, I know you're tall, but how'd you get involved? Yeah. Well, I was in fourth grade and my dad signed me up for basketball camp on Long Island and I played CYO in fourth grade. And I just really took to it because I loved the individual component in a team game. And I loved the fact that you could work on your game by yourself and you you didn't need somebody else to play with. Mm -hmm. Like if you were playing baseball or football or hockey I enjoyed the fact that I just needed the ball and I didn't even need a rim. But if I had a ball, I could go dribble up to the park, work yeah. on my game. I didn't need anybody else to be there. I could be there by myself for hours and then outwork somebody else. In sixth grade, I quit playing. Uh, and I mentioned this in the book I just finished, Rebound from Pain to Passion. I read a book on Bill Bradley, who was a great mm. player for the Knicks. Yep. It was called Life on the Run. And in the book, he said, if somebody is out there working harder than you, when you two meet, that person will have the advantage. Right then, I quit. I quit playing baseball. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know you played baseball, Coach. That's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Well, to sixth grade, it wasn't yeah. anything. You know, my dad was a minor league pitcher. Okay. And to give my dad credit, he never questioned my decision to quit baseball. Mm. I'm really grateful to have a father that exposed me to different things and never made me feel, you know, pressured to play uh, the sport that he grew up playing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I wanted to get a little bit into your your collegiate career, right? Mm-hmm. So you're coming out of high school, you're coming yep. to Chapel Hill. What was it like playing in the ACC in the early 80s? Because, I mean, your team was loaded. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so what was competition like at that time? Well, it was great, Dom. You talk about the ACC, to me, was and still is the best basketball conference ever. Oh, you know, no there's doubt. some, like now, the Big Ten – has a good year, yep. but year in, year out, the ACC is is the best, in my opinion. And so just think back in the 80s. We had in that league, when I started in 1980, we had Albert King and Buck Williams mm-hmm. at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Okay, Then they had Lenny Bias and Adrian Branch. Ooh. Okay, yeah. Wake Forest had Danny Young, who played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. 
And they had Delaney Rudd uh, played the NBA. They had Frank Johnson who played in the NBA for a long time. Frank was a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. And then let's. I'm just going through the league. Yeah, Ralph NC- Sampson. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Ralph Sampson mm-hmm. was maybe the most talented college player of all time. Yeah, I mean, even, even you know, as talented or maybe more gifted, skilled than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Man, oh, wow. I'm not saying he's a better player, but I'm saying mm-hmm. as talented. Or more talented. Sure. And, and then you had Jeff Jeff Lamp. You had Rick Carlisle, who played in the NBA, who's now coaching for the Celtics. About Rick uh, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Um, NC State, you know, they had, they had, when I started, I'm trying to think of who their best player was when I got there. But then they had Sidney Lowe. They won the national oh, yeah. championship in 83. Yep. And then you had Duke. Duke was going through a transition. Ironically, Duke wasn't very good. Yeah. My first year, I played against Gene Banks. Yep. He was a senior, and they were okay. They weren't great, and you know, but he was obviously a great player. Yeah. And then we played who else? Georgia Tech was just getting in the league. Clemson had Larry Nance, who oh. was a great, great pro. That guy could ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I, I think I think I covered. I might have missed a team. But I think that kind of covered it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and, and then the you ACC had everybody back. you played with. I mean, you played with yeah. two first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins. Mm-hmm. Who I don't know how Sam gets lost in some of these conversations. Yeah, I don't either, man. Big smooth. Either. I have no idea. I don't either. I'm I mean, with you. He was a three-time All-American. Yes, he was. You know, he's the all-time. I think all-time leading rebounder and second in points when he graduated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Behind Phil Ford. I, team won more games in I think the history either of the ACC or North Carolina history in four year period mm. and he played the NBA like 17 years mm-hmm. uh, the ACC was so good back then and every place was so tough to to win mm-hmm. it seems like yeah. t- a talent Mark Price, Mark Price, Price at Georgia Tech. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. It seems like talent was more concentrated at, at that time because now you've got all these, you know, mid-major conferences uh, that are getting talented players, mm-hmm. and it, you know, maybe it's just my perception because the game has grown. But mm-hmm. it seemed like the the rosters back then were loaded top to bottom with it. Just they were stacked versus. It seems like rosters now. There's yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're a little thin at the end. A couple things. One, I don't recall a scholarship limit back then. Mm. I'm sure there was, but I think it might have been 15. Ooh. Okay. So you could you could accumulate talent. Sure. And and you know with TV being limited, there wasn't a lot of schools on TV. So sure. you know now with ESPN covering all the games, yeah. you know everyone could say you're on TV, mm-hmm. and then they. And the NCAA tournament, so more teams made the late tournament. Yeah. Okay. And then you have the one and dones. So right, because these mid-major programs that could grow and beat top five schools, mm-hmm. top top five leagues. Right, because it, it, back then people would say at least until their junior year, if not all four years. So now you're you're getting four years worth of talent instead of one and two years worth of talent. Mm-hmm. That 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 makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So who was who was your toughest guard? During your yeah. college days, yeah. who who was the toughest one to guard? Not excluding, of course, your teammates. Well, yeah, I would say personally, like for my position, mm-hmm. it was probably Albert King as a freshman, mm-hmm. and I didn't guard him a lot, thank God. And 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 Lenny Bias. Oh yeah, well, that's I guess that goes. Lenny Bias and Adrian Brandt. Adrian Brandt was a heck of a player, man. Yeah, Lenny, Lenny Bryant, Bryant, 
So go, going uh, through the national championship year, Coach, what was it? What was it like? Because I know, I know Mike, Mister Mister Michael Jordan, wrote the forward for uh, for rebound your, your book, your new book. What was it like playing right. with MJ? It was easy, <laughs> you know. I mean. It was easy. You had the best player on your team. I mean, I had the best players on my team. My senior year, we had a starting five of Kenny Smith, Michael Jordan, myself, Sam Perkins, and Brad Darty. Man, oh, that's man, oh, man. That's not fair. That's really not <laughs> that's fair. ridiculous, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, ridiculous. They, they were not only great players, but great guys. Mm-hmm. And so we were very unselfish. We just cared about winning. We listened to what Coach Smith and the assistants were telling us. Our assistants included Bill Guthridge, Eddie Fogler, and Roy Williams. Boy, oh boy. We talk about great players. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, it was easy playing with Michael, you know, because he played the right way. He played defense. He passed the ball. He played hard. He competed. He just wanted to win. And so when we had close, a lot of times games might have been close at half, and we knew we were going to take care of business in the second Mm -hmm. half. uh, That was a really confident feeling that we would have in the locker room at halftime. I bet. I can't even imagine I think as fans, we used to have that exact same feeling because (laughs) growing up watching you guys, you guys could be down by 10, 15 points, but you still had that feeling that, okay, we got them right where we want them. 15 points is nothing for us. It was that whole second half thing. I keep saying us like I played. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But I'm a Tar Heel fan, so I feel like us. You know what I mean? It's okay. I appreciate that. But no, that's how we felt, and and that's a couple of things. One, that's the the history that Coach Smith had in comeback wins. Mm-hmm. We knew that, we believed in that, we practiced it, and we knew that we could do it. Yeah. And and teams started to crack, and mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden we feel, and then the momentum would change. And Coach Smith had a history of those comebacks oh yeah no doubt yeah. now speaking of playing with with mj did you ever get on the course with him oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. i heard he's a yeah, much yeah. different yeah. kind of competitor on the course yeah well you know we all are you know mm-hmm. i mean he just has more money for around, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that's, very, that's very fair I mean, ain't that the truth yeah yeah i think his famous line is like you know Somebody says, well, how much do you want to bet? And he says, whatever makes you nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That, know, is, that is absolutely either. fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, I, 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 I played one time. I tried to say, okay, 10% of a respective income. <laughs> it's like tithing. Right? <laughs> that, that, that would be fair, right? Yeah. Like 10% yeah, that's what fair. I bring in, what we bring in. But he didn't go for that. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I bet. It's, he's got some legendary legendary golf stories. Even the ones that were on the last dance was was pretty great. And I was watching the night the documentary about the dream team the other day and he had some pretty epic stories there. So I love I love I love that coach. I love that you got out on the co- on the uh, court or sorry, on the golf course with Mike. What was yeah. what was that run like in 82, coach? Well, it it was the first thing is in 81 we went to the final four. Yep. And we lost in a championship game to Isaiah Thomas and the Indiana Hoosiers. Yep. And we had everybody, the starters, we had three starters back, Jimmy Black, Sam Perkins, James Worthy. I was the sixth man. And then Al Wood was graduating. He was a great player. He was mm-hmm. an All-American for I had Michael Jordan come in as a freshman. So so we were confident. We didn't have great depth. So you know, there was a game where Sam Perkins was was sick. We lost at home to Wake Forest, mm. and we lost one game 
at Virginia against Ralph Sampson. But we were a very unselfish group. We needed to stay healthy and stay out of foul trouble. And we did. And we're just very unselfish. I think we're a very smart team. Mm -hmm. Everybody could pass, handle, and shoot the ball and think. And we just cared about winning. I mean, James Worthy, Boy. first pick in the draft, averaged like 15, 16 points. That's still one of the best dunks you know, I've ever seen. 30. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they that, what that's what Ooh. the old that's what the old thing was with uh coach Smith, was, right? He was the only one that could hold Mike under 30, under 20 points a game, right? Yeah. Now, look at the look at James's dunk against Houston in the final four. Oh, okay. That was even more impressive. All right, let me but, write that down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look at that. Try to Google that. I'm sure I've seen it, yeah. but let me look. Yeah. I would always like yeah. to go back. <laughs> I would always like to go back and see that for sure. Yeah, that I remember after the summer, after James, that, that summer he went pro and we were working out. We, we, we were together in Chapel Hill. We went to lunch and it was just he and I. And I said, his nickname was Stick. So I said, Stick, what was, what was Sleepy thinking? Like, why did Sleepy try to go, go try to block your dunk, you know, a breakaway? And he said, I don't know, man. He said he tried to do the same thing in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, why would he try to do it twice? He knew what the outcome was going to be. Oh, wow. They're both from Gastonia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was still one of my favorite. One of my. It's one of my favorite highlights in all of basketball. So I definitely, man, that was that was that was one of my favorites. So after your after your playing career at UNC, I want to skip to whenever you went to go coach with your old high school coach, Mister Bob McKillop. You were the assistant coach at Davidson from '89 to '92. So what was that? I mean, I know you already had the relationship um, with coach McKillop what was it like being a coach with him and also playing for him how was that well I think it was at first it was a little it was fun it was fun we had a good time and we had had three former high school players on his staff John Mm -hmm. Corso who just passed away about a year ago God rest his soul Don Hogan and myself we had a good time together but it was also a hard time because Bob was used to winning and that first year we went four and 24 and you know it was part of that was due to Davidson was not set up to win at that time and then you know Bob had to grow into being a head coach he went from being a high school coach to a division one head coach it's a big jump yeah Uh, So I think that first three years were very difficult. But then finally, we got some recruits and then Bob got his footing. And after year three, you know, pretty much every year, he probably averaged 20 plus wins a year. Yeah. I mean, they're they're one of the most more successful miners out there and they've always been dangerous. They always give Carolina a run for their money, no matter what year it is, no matter what the record is, it always seems like. And you had this you had the same experience with with Coach Williams, except the added thing that he actually recruited you in college. So what yeah. was that dynamic like? Because you were at Kansas for seven years. Yeah, I love Kansas. I loved Kansas. Is, University of Kansas is a lot like UNC. Mm-hmm. You know, very similar school, the layout of the campus, the downtown, and the interest in the sport. There, It may be the best place to be, you know, to watch a game or play a game. Mm. The crowd there is unbelievable, 16,500 people. The, the arena is old school. The, the angle of the seats, it, it, it's, it's really intense. And to be there for seven years under Roy Williams was a blessing. I learned so much from him to understand the inner workings of the Carolina system, having played it. And we had some great teams, great guys mm-hmm. we coached. And that 
system. I got to, you know, because of Roy Williams and Dean Smith, and, you know, I got to become the head coach at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was there for one year, and I thought I'd be there forever. And then Bill Guthridge retired, and yep. and Roy Roy decided not to take the job. So it yep. fell to me. Yep. And I mean, deservedly so, Coach. If you ask me. So with the with the Kansas thing, I gotta ask, man. The rock chalk Jayhawk, not not the not the national, not, not the chant necessarily, but you know, when all the students get together, arm in arm, the lights go out. Like that has got to be one of the best in game pre game things I've ever seen. I've never experienced it because I'm I decided I'm not gonna go watch a game at Kansas until Carolina and Kansas play in Lawrence, which is a bucket list thing for me. I want to experience that. How how is that in person? And on YouTube, it's fantastic. So I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's kind of a religious experience. Yeah, I bet. You know? uh, it really is a cool place. The fans are into it. They understand basketball. And again, sixteen and a half thousand people. It's like put sixteen and a half thousand people into the Cameron Indoor Stadium. Oh man. You know, it's yeah. it's it's twice the size Cameron, but the same intimate feel. And and that that chant that you're talking about is is really cool it yeah, really is we've had some great and dom if you haven't seen this yet yeah. you need to youtube this okay. and 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 check this out because it really is something that will give you chill bumps even if you're not a college basketball fan it's pretty it's pretty incredible so going from kansas to notre dame what like going from a assistant coach for 10 years and then go to such a prolific program like Notre Dame, well, a university, I guess they, they probably didn't have, they had a program like back in the 70s and early 80s, right? That was really good and then kind of fell off. How, how was it to coach at such a prestigious university as Notre Dame? It, it, it was an honor as an Irish Catholic kid growing up on Long Island. Notre Dame was a school I always admired. I was recruited by them. I was a big fan of some of the former players like Kelly Trapuca, John Paxson, and, mm -hmm. and, and some of their teams. I remember watching them as a kid. And then to be there on that campus with the Golden Dome and having, you know, Notre Dame on my chest, it was a real, real honor. And I was very proud to be their coach. Coach, perceptually, Notre Dame seems more like a football school with the other places that you've, you've coached are much more basketball first. Mm -hmm. How how was that different coaching at a school that seemed to be very, very heavy on football focus, at least in the fan base, it seems like? Yeah, it didn't bother me. Matter of fact, there's some benefits to that because, <laughs> you know, you can have maybe a little dip in performance and you know you're not going to get crucified for it yeah. you know as opposed to yeah. being a basketball coach at north carolina right slide under the radar a little a bit more coach at notre dame sure mm -hmm. so it gave it gave you a little bit more insulation as long as there wasn't disrespect mm -hmm. you know in the sure. program and and mm -hmm. you know at times when i first got there i felt there was disrespect towards our program and you had a fight for some things and to change the culture what whenever you uh went to unc what was it like trying to make your mark on such an established prolific program because I, I know dre and i were at your first midnight madness at carmichael <laughs> and we were we were talking about this earlier God, was so i was i i got so hyped whenever you and the other coaches got out there and played that, that three on three, <laughs> it was like, it was one of my f most favorite experiences as a Tar Heel fan yeah. was that. And I just, I got to know, it's like, what, what was it like to, to put your stamp to, you know, to go come in? What were you, what were you thinking to putting like about putting your stamp on the program? Yeah. I think, first of all, we won that pickup game. You right? did. You yeah. did indeed. Yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. 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 
what I wanted to do is be myself. And I love interacting with the students. I love tapping into that energy. And so doing something like that, having having a Midnight Madness, which I don't think they had before, bringing back Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott hosted that. R.I.P. Yeah. I do remember. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so we just wanted to have fun and, and kind of, you know, be us. I, I didn't want to, I, I couldn't be Bill Guthridge. I couldn't be Dean Smith. I need to be myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to do within the parameters of the Carolina program. Now, speaking from a fan, you definitely made it fun. That was, as I said, one of the best experiences uh, that I've ever had as a, as a Carolina fan. And one of the, actually probably the best Midnight Madness that I've been to till to date. Yeah, that and was the best. I've, I've been to all of them except for the last three. And it started with you. And it was, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. That's for sure. Yeah, you're welcome. If you could go back and change it. What would you do what would you do differently? Well, I think a couple things. I probably would allow Coach Smith. I would ask Coach Smith to help me make some of the decisions I made. When I took the job, I wanted clarity on three things. Could I bring my staff with me? Yes, that was the answer. Could, you know, I wanted an understanding that my second year we probably wouldn't be very good because mm-hmm. we were going to lose a lot. And then the third year was going to be rebuilt. There was an understanding of that check. And then the third thing was, you know, would it be my program? Could I run it? How, you know, could I run the program or would it need to be run? Would Dean Smith want to run it through me? Mm-hmm. And so Coach said, it's your program, run it how you see fit. And I, I think just looking back, I was naive mm-hmm. and should have flowed with change. You know, managing change is an art form mm-hmm. and, and, and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah especially hard when a program's won for 40 years. Mm. It's especially hard when a staff staff has been in place forever. Mm -hmm. It's especially hard when you have four secretaries that have been there an average of about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's especially hard when you get the job in July. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, most coaches get jobs in, in March or April. I got mine in July and it's like, you know, why did it come open then? It mm-hmm. was just, it was a very tough time because you know, what's the most important thing that coach does in July? Recruit. Recruit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine Recruit. that situation. Well, I, yeah, and so, so if I had to do it again, I, I probably would have talked to coach Smith about retaining some of the previous staff because I think that really hurt him and some of the former players. Mm-hmm. I would have still brought my staff with me, but maybe in a different role. I didn't want to leave them out in the cold. Go slower with change. Yeah. And, 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 but you know, I was up against the clock getting the job in July. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was kind of a tough spot, but yeah. I would have, those are the things I would have done differently. Well, you know, coach, speaking of recruiting, you are one of the best recruiters out there, or at least whenever, whenever you were a coach. What what makes a great recruiter like yourself? Because you had some some A1 talent commit to you. Well, I appreciate that. First of all, you have to have a good staff. Secondly, you have to have a good product to sell. Well, then I have because we put, you know, I put out there on 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 the Twitter's verse. If anybody had a question to ask you to put it to put it to us so we could ask you on the on the air. So I have a have a question from Kiasha. She said, do you think that it was during your time at UNC playing at UNC that there was truly a switch from NC State to Duke? As far as being the rival. As far as the rivalry goes. Oh, yeah. How about that? <laughs> uh, NC State gets so mad when we say that they're not a rival. Isn't it great? I love it. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But she said that because I, when Johnny Dawkins came in 82, it seemed to have that shift. Well, I mean, you know, 83, you know, they won championship, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got lucky as heck. <laughs> they did. It, they did. <laughs> yeah. I think when Duke started to their ascension in the, in the mid 80s, but, you know, NC State was still, you know, they had Corciani. Oh, man. Tom Gugliotta, Rodney Monroe. Yeah. Still pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to go past 86, Vinny Del Negro. I'd say, you know, probably the late the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the, the rivalry kind of inverted. I mean, if, you, yeah. if, you listen, if, if you listen to all the, the old, old heads, uh, they would tell you it was back in the 60s with Larry Brown got into that fight with, what was his name? Art Heyman. Art Heyman. Yeah. Two guys, they went to high school together. Yeah, and they got into a huge fight in the 60s. I think it was, what, 61 or 62 um, at Cameron. And that's what a lot of people say that the the rivalry switched but i i i tend to agree with you no the right that's not true the rivalry <laughs> was there through the 70s i mean you're talking about the 70s mm-hmm. with north sloan and they won a championship in 74 went on probation in 75 i might add and then, uh, <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, they, they, no, that that thing inverted in the late '80s. Oh, it's and, good to see the hate still there, Coach. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like that yeah. a lot. Now oh, I want to we want to give you some time. Talk about your book, The Rebound from Pain to Passion. Thanks. It's coming out when the the book will officially come out like the first week of March. You can pre order it on Amazon. It's called Rebound from Pain to Passion, or go to my website rebound book dot com. And you can see some of the pictures, some of the endorsers. I had great endorsements. First of all, Michael Jordan wrote the forward. Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Brad Darty, Sam Perkins, mm. Jimmy Black, mm. Raymond Felton, Sean May, Roy Williams, Jim Nance Jim have Nance. all wrote, written for the book dick vitale john gordon a, a big time author so fran Fraschella, I, I have a lot if my book is half as good as the endorsement list <laughs> it's well sure you had so, you... some people want to get an autographed copy the best way to do it is order it through coach d at rebound book.com yeah we'll also coach drop d that at rebound book.com and okay. we'll put that in the show notes you know, we, we, we can we can Get that done, and I'll sign a book and ship it out. So you don't have to go through Amazon to get that. So what was that experience like writing the book? It's hard. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Uh, And it it was some emotional uh, pain. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on some moments that were not pleasant, and to have to relive that again was painful. But it was also therapeutic. I think one of the best things, selfishly for me, was to get that project done and get it on paper and get it out mm-hmm. and people can read it. And hopefully my goal is if one person can benefit from that book and, and it helps them either deal with some of the pain or learn how to forgive or avoid them from stepping on the landmines I stepped on, my book is a success. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've had some people that have read it and said, you know, I went through a similar thing. I did this or, you know, you know, you learn, you taught me how to forgive it. It, it it's and it's not a it's a quick read. I mean, people can read it in a day or two nights and listen uh, to it while they jog, right, Clint? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the audio version will come out to hopefully with you know by the first week of March, but that's that's a hard process. Uh, I've heard. Uh, it'll, well, who's going to do the audio? He version? is. Oh, you're going to. I'm do doing it. the audio. Oh, oh yeah, wow. I'm doing the audio. Okay. I've heard it's one of the hardest yeah. things to do. I can imagine. It, it's hard because yeah. you know to read it again <laughs> and then. Then, you know, 
the way you write a sentence and then the, when you read it, it's like, man, that sentence kind of chopped up. Mm-hmm. And so you get tongue tied and you're doing it. It took me three, three hour sessions Ooh. to do it. Okay. Coach, yeah. you said one of the lessons that you want people to learn from the book is to learn how to forgive. Who Who is the one person that you felt like you needed to be able to forgive and, and were able to process that through writing the book? I really felt I needed to forgive myself. Yeah. I think I think that, you know, there are people that I felt like could have done better by me in that transition. But I also needed to forgive myself because it's so easy to beat yourself up over, should I have stayed at Notre Dame? Should I have managed, you know, work with Coach Smith differently? Should I have brought my, you know, retained the previous staff? Should I, should I, should I? yourself up and 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 you'd like you know that's not a good feeling it's not healthy yeah that second guessing is devastating to forgive myself was like okay yeah i i need to be able to forgive myself and not be so hard on myself and realize you know that was a pretty much i don't know many people that could have handled that situation Mm -hmm. that i was in it was a very difficult situation i need to forgive myself for that yeah uh, I, I definitely, I definitely feel that, Coach. We want to thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you. I have one question. When I come up to Long Island at some point, where should I go get some pizza? <laughs> Woo! Pietro's in East Pietro's. Meadow. Actually, actually, you know what? Borelli's in East Meadow. They just did a deal with Borelli's. Have you seen Barstool? Oh yeah, yeah. Giving mm-hmm. money to restaurants. Absolutely. Yes. Borelli's was one of their first. I think I remember that. And they could buy sweatshirts. Uh, I bought uh, some sweatshirts for my family to support the restaurant. That's awesome. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy David, I think it's David with Barstool. What he's doing is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they, they put out some really good content. That's for sure. Oh my gosh! It's, they're but they're putting these, keeping these restaurants afloat. Yep. They are. Um, and it's really cool what he's doing. It really so is. So Borelli's or Pietro's in East Meadow. Borelli's or Pietro's. Well, yeah, and you better fold it over. Hey, Clint, if you don't fold it over, you're not a man. You know, I do Clint, fold it over. Clint, Clint, absolutely. Clint, Clint eats his pizza with a fork and knife. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely false, Coach. Don't believe I, that. I, I, figured, I figured he might. Right, Dom? <laughs> That's a fact. I do not eat my pizza with a fork and a knife. Oh, that man. New York-style pizza, you definitely have to fold. There really is no other way to eat it. That is absolutely Thanks. for sure. It's the only coach, way you can hold the grease. It really is. Hey, it, coach, we really appreciate right. yes. this. Thank man. you. Yeah, Thank we you do. so and much we for could, your time. We could have you on for hours. You've done so much. We didn't even cover half the stuff that we had written down. But, man, what, a, what an honor it's been. Everybody go out and get the book, Rebound from Pain to Passion, coming out the first week of March. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Audible sometime in the first week of March. It's and going to be a phenomenal notes. read. Check the show notes to get an autographed copy directly from Coach. And it's going to be right. better than Jay Billy. That's right. <laughs> All right, Coach. Well, thank you again hey, Jay, so much. Jay, Jay, I can't hate on Jay. Oh, Jay's no, great. no, I, I don't hate on Jay. Jay's I like, great. I like Jay. I like Jay he's he's Jay, one of he's one of the few Dukies I like. Anytime Coach. I can throw a jab to a Dukie, I, I need to. <laughs> it it was a uh, it was a great conversation, Coach. I very much appreciate it. And you know, you never know. Maybe you'll change your mind and come back on. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Coach. Good night. Get Gene. Thanks. I'll come on with Gene. Banks. Oh, we'll definitely we'll definitely get Gene. He's All a right. he's see a guys. he's a friend okay, of a friend. Man. I'll see you Thank later, you. Coach. Have see a great later, night. Bro. And that concludes another episode of the Joe Schmo Sports Show. So please make sure you go to the show notes. You click the link to buy the book, Rebound from Pain to Passion, and order it on Amazon or Audible. And uh, make sure you use our affiliate link to help the show out.
So we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Yeah, right. Use that Amazon. Use that Amazon, Use that Amazon link, link for sure. Like exactly. Exactly. What he said. It yeah. Right. No. Yeah. No doubt. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Cut to the theme music. <laughs>